Hey friends, you're listening to the Everyday Mule Ship Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Ty Evans, and in this episode, we got a special guest, my buddy Shamus Hawes. He's from here in Utah, and he's a heck of a cowboy, a great horseman, and it was an absolute pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, we, we recorded this uh, about a month and a half ago, I think, um, and we did it uh, on a day that the internet wasn't super great. So please forgive a few of the short little pauses, a couple little glitches in the show. Um, tried to kind of edit them out or whatever, but anyways, I didn't want to lose any. I didn't want to lose any of the integrity of the show, so I just kept it as it is. So forgive the forgive the choppiness of some of the conversation. But nonetheless, it was an awesome conversation, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of good stuff out of this this episode. As always, I want to thank our sponsors. We've got a lot of amazing people that make this podcast happen, that make it so we can offer it free to you. So big thanks to Mules and More Magazine, Western Mule Magazine as well, also Roman Homes, and uh, Colt Saddlery. Big thanks to all these people for for making this podcast happen. They're a wonderful support. So anyways, with that, we are going to jump into this episode. Hope you enjoy. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about horsemanship than mulemanship, because I got my buddy here, uh, Shamus Hawes, from from right here in Utah. He's one of my neighbors, uh, relatively speaking, here in Utah, and uh, it's a pleasure to have Shamus on. So Shamus, thanks for coming on, my friend. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Ty. So I was, I, I asked you a couple weeks ago to do this with me and I've been pondering about uh, when I first met you. And I, and I, and I remember the very first time I met you and I doubt you remember Shamus, but I was just uh, in high school and you used to do buckouts at your barn uh, yeah. all the time. And, and I'd come and get on some, some of those broncs that, uh, you know, I mean, most of them were little, little turds, you know, just kind of things that, you know, that you had and other people had to kind of round it up, but I'd come get on some broncs and stuff. And, uh, and that's when I first met you was back in them days. Do you remember those days? I do remember those days. Yeah. Do you, do you still have your bucking shoots in your arena? I do. Yeah. Yeah. They probably don't get used as much, yeah. We we don't use them, but yeah, we still have. Them. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that's when I met you, and then I've I've been a fan of yours, you know, follow you, your horsemanship and and you know your journey there, and it's been cool. And we ran we ran into each other later on. I judged that colt starting deal up in up in uh, wherever that was, Leighton or Bountiful or something like that that you did. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of got reacquainted and that's when I remembered that, Oh yeah, I, I, I met this fella when I, uh, was in high school. And anyways, I just appreciate you. And I got a lot of stuff I'd love to talk to you about. Um, and so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thanks well, for doing this. I'm excited. It's an honor. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe to kick it off. Um, well, why don't you tell us about your family? Uh, your wife is awesome. And, uh, I don't know that you'd be where you are without her much like, no. much like my wife. I, I wouldn't be anything without her. And 
so we got to tell about her and, and you got, you got some great kids and, and, uh, a wonderful life and a, a ranch and lots of stuff going. So why don't you just take us on a journey and introduce yourself a little bit here, Shamus? Well, <clears throat> I, I live in, in Erda, Utah, which is in Tooele County. And, uh, I met my wife out here back when I was riding bulls and, uh, she's her her folks own own the building the barn and stuff and uh boy she she's been a saint for me she's you know i i don't know i wasn't headed in a very good place before her for sure so i'm truly blessed to have her and we have four daughters um two grandbabies i got a grandson and a granddaughter and uh boy they've they've sure been my whole world um sure lucky to have them and to get to be able to spend you know my my time and life with them and uh what a blessing that's been so um i don't i don't know how far you want me to go yeah i I appreciate that so uh what i want to do What I want to do is is go back, Shamus, because y- you and I have have similar uh, similar uh, lifestyles in in all the ways. Because before I got into my my horsemanship journey, my and for me, I call it mulemanship, you know. But before I yeah. got into that journey, I was rodeoing, and uh, <laughs> a lot like what you just said, I feel like Sky kind of pulled me out of the gutters, you know, and uh, and tune me up and uh you know and anyways it went from you know back then i know a lot like you you know use i believe you, you was the first first person from utah to go to the pbr weren't you i was one of the first ones yeah yeah, yeah. anyways i mean you know uh so so before our horsemanship days you know rodeo was definitely a big part of it you know and i'm sure like you uh uh, you, you know, like you, my, my whole life was evolved around rodeo until it wasn't. And then now it's, it's horsemanship, you know? And yeah. And so anyways, maybe you could, you could take us, take us back. Cause I, I want to know what makes, what makes Shamus Shamus? Like how, how'd you become who you are? This didn't just happen overnight. Uh, it's like that saying you work, you work your whole life to become an overnight success. And yeah. uh, I, I want to know what what made you tick so let's go back to those rodeo days back to growing up um and and where did your horsemanship seeds get planted back then well uh i i can't remember a time in my life without a horse in it um we've my folks have got some photos someplace of of uh of me being on a horse with my dad like the day I got out of the hospital. So, <laughs> so that's something I done with all my girls as well. And, uh, so I haven't seen that photo in a long time. So I don't know if they still know where it is or not, but, but I know that happened. And I, the earliest I can remember, I started a horse with my dad, I was six or seven years old, maybe. And, uh, he pretty much just sat there and told me what to do. And he helped, I'm sure, 
quite a bit, but we did a lot in a round pen. You know, most all of it was in a round pen and a lot different than what I do today. Uh, we spent probably 30 days or 45 days or something just saddling them and moving them around the round pen and then probably that much time again with line drives, uh, drive lines on them. And uh, before I ever got to get on there, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of it was because of my age, but but that that was the beginning with that. And, and I'm always, uh, from a young boy, we we did little horse horse club, Jim Connor kind of things and, and ranching and just, just all the stuff, you know, and I think I was near 12 and my older sister uh, was going out with a bull rider and he kind of got me hooked on that deal. And so I, I went and got on a bull at 12 years old, pretty sure I was 12. I could have been 11, 11 or 12. And I'd, I was hooked from that moment on. And uh, I, I went through all the high school rodeo deal and I don't recall any junior rodeos like they have these days. You know, I don't, I don't remember any of that. Uh, um, but I, I got on a lot of bulls and after high school, I, I went right into the PRCA and there wasn't any of the PBR or nothing like that in them days. So we, we just went down the road rodeoing, and I loved every minute of it. But I, all, amongst all that, I was all, always riding horses. I've always trained. Um, when I was at home, not on the road, I rode a lot of horses then, you know, to supplement my income. And um, Well, I sure wish I'd have had a little more interest in the horse deal then uh, than the bull riding. I, it would have, the longevity is a little better. yeah so probably 96 ish 95 96 right in there i was invited to some pbr events and uh later in the year of 96 i just just stopped entering i don't i never never planned on quitting or anything but i our most family's ranch in 1996 also so that consumed a lot of time and uh in 99 i wondered i thought i just one day i said to my wife i said i wonder if i still have what it takes to 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 ride one and so i hadn't been on one in three years and i didn't practice none and i i went to a pbr challenger event in wyoming and i won it and uh (laughs) <laughs> so it was kind of fun you know yeah but i entered two more two more bull riding deals and i went to one of them and i turned out of the other so you know i just i, I could ride them but it wasn't it wasn't burning inside me i just wanted to see if i could do it you know and i feel like if there's not that burning want to do it it's just not the place to be that's a good, that's a good lesson for all kinds of stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. That goes with everything in life. Yeah. You know, I get a lot of people that ask about problem, you know, what they consider problem horses, problem mules. And, and if, if some of these issues, you know, if they're, if they're real serious, you know, that person better have a desire to get in there and, and do something about it or else they're really not going to help that animal out. So that goes for rodeo on it. Go, I mean, I remember, you know, Louis Fields. 
Yeah. Or you knew him, you know, he was, he was my coach in college and uh, a, a great mentor of mine. I mean, I, I love that man. And uh, he taught me so much, but I remember him telling a guy on my team one day that the kid kind of made a comment about he, there ain't a horse that he's scared of, you know, something like that. And, and Louie came up and said, you're not scared. And the kids, no, I ain't scared. And Louie's like, well, and he used some other words, but you're, you're either a liar or you're just plain dumb. <laughs> and yeah. the kid was like, what are you talking about? And Louie's like, you better have a little, you need your motor running. You better have a little bit of fear in you or else you're not going to, you're not going to make it because you could get hurt or killed on accident in this stuff, you know? the you know the, the bull riding especially i mean they don't even have to they don't have to actually come after you to to hurt you you just fall off and you get stepped on and they kill you you know and so he said you better have a little bit of motor running in there and yeah. he said the day that you're not the day that you don't have that is the day you probably should hang it up and uh, <clears throat> i remember i remember that because i was at a my last rodeo i was in santa quinn utah i was just a it was an amateur rodeo over there and I remember sitting on the back of the chutes and I was completely chill, like totally just calm. And, uh, and those words kind of rang to me a little bit. And then that got me worried <laughs> because Louis like, you, you know, if you're, if you don't feel anything, you probably should call it. You know, I'm like, I don't feel, I don't, feel, I mean, I'm not excited. I, I'm not nervous. I just feel nothing. I remember looking up at the mountains that day thinking, man, I'd rather be camping. <laughs> you know, I'd rather yeah. I'd rather be up there camping, riding riding up in the mountain. But anyway, so I I totally understand you there. I want to back up a little bit, Shamus. Um, and you, you said you you helped your dad start some cults when you was a kid, and you said it was different than the way you do it now. So so to tell tell me a little bit about your dad's horsemanship philosophy. What was he? You said he spent a lot of time in the round pen, but what else was he doing? How was he riding? Was he trying to make bridle horses? Uh, what was he into? No, he he team roped a little bit, but just just using horses, just horses to enjoy and and use around and, and that. But no, I don't recall any any bridle horses. Uh, he he was uh, pretty good with the horse, but he wasn't he wasn't into it like I am. You know, I just it, uh, I think they just more to have them and enjoy them for him than than anything you know use them but not i don't know he, he started a lot of horses i think but not nothing near to the capacity that, that you or i maybe would was he just starting them for just his own self or is he starting yeah. for some locals no just for himself just when he wanted them you know when he had it when he had a young one he needed started or or things and he was pretty good with them and then uh, when my, when my folks got divorced, he married my stepmother and she was really good with horses, but well, she helped me an awful lot. Yeah. I was, uh, just turned. So, I don't remember what year that was a long time ago, but, um, she sure enough helped me a lot. You know, I, before that, I didn't know much about using my legs or or anything of that nature and she kind of started bringing that into my world she'd gone to some college in california and had a, a degree in horsemanship and, and things like that and 
so yeah, she she helped me a lot, but she she wasn't in the battle horses either. It was more, uh, oh, I don't know, English and different different other stuff. She later in life she got into the barrel racing deal and had some success there, but not huge, but just good local success and had a lot of fun. And now she I don't even think she owns a horse now. Yeah. So things change. Yeah. Yeah, life will turn around on you in a hurry. So it's kind of speaking of making bridle horses, Shamus. I mean, that's kind of my passion. I mean, that's what that's that's what I'm into, you know, much like yourself. That's where I, I kind of find a lot of joy in things. Where I mean, you know, a lot like myself, you know, growing up in, in Utah, we're kind of here on the the buckaroo fringe sort of so to speak you know we're kind of on the edge of this great basin and part of it and there's a lot of that great basin culture and, and buckaroos around um so wh where did you kind of your influence of making bridle horses creep in when did you kind of come across that kind of stuff oh uh, golly you know i i would like to say it was once i started working on this ranch but you know what the bridle horses I seen then in the early nineties was nothing like the bridle horses I see now. Um, but, but totally different type of hands too. You know, they were just guys riding them in, in bridle bits and, um, they weren't real horses. They weren't, they weren't trained like a bridle horse or brought along like one, however you'd want to say that. But so I, I saw it and, and I was intrigued with how they looked and, uh, I thought I was intrigued of how they handled until I got to see what the real ones was like. And then I, then I was intrigued, you know, but so I kind of saw it here. And then I was, we raise a lot of horses on this place. And I went, my favorite, my favorite bloodline is Hancock. I love Hancock horses. And um, so I was searching where to find a good Hancock stud. And I run across the Haythorn Ranch in Nebraska and they was having a horse sale that year. So we loaded up and went back there and, and bought a stud horse. And he, he was no good. He, he was cryptorchid and wasn't fertile. And so I called Craig Haythorn up and I, I told him, I said, you know, I'm not expecting you to do anything about this, but I just wanted to let you know that, that this was the deal with this horse. And, and he said, no, I'm not going to let you buy a stud and not have one. So you bring him back and you can have your choice of yearlings and, and so I went back there. I took that horse back to him, and and sure enough, he had eighty or something head of yearling stud colts, which is a phenomenal number. And then full of tears, but he wasn't going to let me take one. They were coming two year olds, and uh, he wasn't going to let me take one. And I kind of needed. I was hoping to get a two or three year old, you know, to, that I could possibly breed, cover a couple of mares with or something. But uh, we was just way over mared the stud power in them days that I had and uh he said no I'm gonna send you home with a horse and he sent me home with a four-year-old horse and, and uh that horse was great big blue roan horse that I ended up buying from him and I, I kind of gilded him out of him you know but uh I just told him how much I really liked him and I didn't want to haul him back and so he, he went ahead and let me buy him but but anyhow when I went there to pick that horse up he his head trainer and I got to be pretty good friends and we used to talking and, 
and Craig said to me one morning, he's eating breakfast there at his bunkhouse, and uh, and no, not at his bunkhouse, but with his cowboys, and he said, come with me, I want went back, and he had Jim and Luke Newbert there, and they were starting, I think there was 28 head that they were starting, and we sat and watched them for a while, and I don't know how many horses they went through, but a lot of them. And what they had done is they was putting like 15 or 20 minutes on each one in the morning. And then uh, they went and had lunch and then went back and spent about 45 minutes a horse after lunch. So they went, they rode them twice a day. And he says, boy, if you think these guys are good, you ought to, you ought to go see Brian Newbert and their dad. And uh, so I come home and two days later, I was on my way to a clinic where Brian was doing one in Arizona. And that's, that's when I really got my eyes open to what I do. And uh, I pretty much owe everything I have to, to Brian Newbert and, and Joe Walter. But uh, Brian, he, I was in a search anyhow, you know, by that time I was already searching and looking for, for a way. I knew there'd be a way that I could make these cults have them, uh, ready to go to work way sooner than 30 days or 45 days or, or something, you know, it just felt like that, uh, I was working for them and they wasn't working for me and, and I wanted to be the other way around sooner. And, uh, Brian showed me that I could do that within a couple, three or four days. Boy, that, it, it was life changing for me. So anyway, I'd, I'd been on a search a little bit before I found him, but, but uh, I never did find anyone. I've yet to find anyone that has his knowledge. So, pretty cool. Yeah, I I'd love to meet Brian. I've I've never met him. Yeah, I've never tremendous. met Joe Walter either. I haven't met either of those guys. I'd love to meet him. You know, I've heard, I've I've uh, I've watched a lot of videos and you know read articles and things and all you know a lot of information from him. But I've never met him in person. I'd love to do that one of these days. That'd be good. I've heard. Only great things about both of them. Yeah, yeah, great, great guys. We had Brian out here last summer. He did a clinic here at the house, and I think he's, he may be come back this year. I'm not sure. We haven't scheduled anything yet, but uh, I do have Joe Walter coming to my place in May. So. Yeah, you, you like to schedule all these cool guys when I'm on the road. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's so many things I miss. I'm like, dang it, you know, man, they're, they're going to be right here. So I, I see the stuff you do, and. Yeah, and uh, one of these days I'd like to come out there. I'll try to line it up, yeah, hang out with be... you and meet them and everything. But so, what is what's interesting here is, and I and I see this a lot. Is is there's a sense that uh, sometimes the slower you go, the faster you get there, but that doesn't necessarily mean mean that you take all this time. Like, you know, I I see this a lot in in horsemanship folks think well okay well they hear that okay go go slower get there faster and they perceive that as okay now we got to do groundwork for three months before we get on the thing and we better let it settle in we, get, we buy a new horse we better let it settle in for 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 a month or two before we touch it and that's not that's not where that phrase comes from you know yeah. that's not what it's about there and t tell tell us a little bit about the philosophy that that uh, you go by and that 
you know, people like Brian and Joe have taught you, you know, to where you can get these horses working in just a few, few days, really, you can get, get them on the payroll, right? You can get them doing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So golly, it, it's, so I did a, a cult starting thing here a few weeks ago with my buddies. Maybe, maybe I should start having Ty Evans come to that deal with us. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> Anyway, we, we filmed a little bit of it, had it like on reels or TikTok or whatever. Right. And I got a little backlash from a few uh, trainers or, well, I don't know what they are, but some, some people saying, golly, I wouldn't do anything like that. But, you know, I, I typically start a large number of horses in one round pen and uh, they're only in there maybe 10 or 15 minutes and they're out, you know, and we're all on them. And uh, wording they use, so that, that, that to me, I sat and thought about that an awful lot after, after they'd done it. And so then I did like a Facebook live on, on my cult starting philosophy, or I don't even know if it's a philosophy, just why I do it or whatever. And, and the best thing I could come up with was that I think a lot of times the human takes the horse or mule, whatever you're working, right. And takes it out of their world and puts it into your world. And then you're expecting him uh, the, the horse to adapt to you all the while you're trying to ride him and do all these other things and so I kind of feel like with what I'm doing is I'm entering their world and I'm getting them familiar with me and because a lot of these horses we just started with just halter broke a day or two before that so you know they hadn't been around people much and uh, and the time that they had been around us was to get branded and castrated so it wasn't like the very best experience anyhow and uh so anyway i just feel like we associate ourselves in their world and so it was a lot easier for them to accept us because they're still together they're they're in their herd environment they're with their buddies and and we let them kind of cruise where they want to cruise and do the things they kind of want to do and we're just with them we just go with them and then as as the time goes on and we're talking minutes you know it's not real long you can start to make suggestions of maybe bend here or bend there or uh what whatever it is you're trying to do and as you make them suggestions and they start catching on it goes on pretty quick and now they're 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 like my ideas are starting to become theirs and now, now I got a horse that's willing to leave the group and be with me, and I don't have to. Well, I didn't have to go through all the other baloney of getting them used to, used to me before. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it other than I just feel like I step right into their world. They're in their comfort zone, and there's nothing comfortable about us getting in in there with them and on them and all that. But at least they have that. They know that, you know, I feel like, you know, I start a cult in a halter for the first ride, maybe, maybe a couple rides. And the reason I do is because they know it, you know, they understand it and they know it. And, and so 
they they know their friends they know that comfort zone and and so i i use that to my advantage and shoot a lot of times in them deals we're riding them horses outside through the pastures on the second ride or third ride or uh we didn't this year because it was icy and uh i didn't want to get you know a horse hurt or or somebody else hurt on the ice but but they're them, them two-year-olds are we're going to turn them out here in another couple of days but they're they're going good so I, that's kind of my philosophy my if if i was going to sum it all up is i just try to get my idea to become theirs and and when i do that i got i got everything i need with it heck yeah man uh you can comment on this uh it seems like when folks are starting colts, whatever level that person's at is is what they kind of got to get the colt to do or to be at. Um, for example, you know somebody like you, you can you can support a horse in a lot of scenarios. So, you know the preparation that that Shamus does uh, may be quite a bit different than what you know. Um, you know, Susie down the road does that doesn't have a lot of experience and she can't, she can't support a cult the way that you could support a cult. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, and, and that's why it's amazing with somebody with some confidence where they can support that cult and bring the cult up to their level. It's amazing what you can get done in, in those short amount amounts of time, you know? So somebody, I'm I'm trying to get to their level. Yeah, you know that that's what that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah, get to that horse's level. Yeah, but you know, you know what I mean. You can you can support that horse. Yeah, and and so all right, you feel you feel a little tension coming, a little trouble coming, a little uh, a little anxiety getting built, and you can redirect that animal in a in a positive situation. You know and. Mm-hmm. That's that and, little thing that they, they hear so much about is feel. Yeah. yeah. Have a have a little feel, a little compassion toward them. But yeah, yeah, that that's a big thing and hard to hard to hard to help people learn that too, isn't it? Hard to help people learn how to support them when they need it. You know, when uh shoot sometimes um just getting the heck out of there and not doing anything at all helps them the most. Yeah. yeah it, it, in my cult startings, I, uh, I try to tell the people that, Hey, we are here to help the horse or the mule. It, they're not, they're not here to help you. They're not yeah. here to help you get comfortable. You know, this is not a confidence building clinic for you, <laughs> you know, for the human the, you know, the cult starting is, is the one class that I do that is completely different than the others in that all the focus is on, is, is totally on helping that animal, you know, do all those things. The other classes, yeah, we're helping the person get confidence. We're helping the person, you know, learn seat position, leg position, you know, blah, 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 right? We're, we're helping them do all these things. Cult starting comes around and I tell folks, hey, you know, this class, we are, we got to be all in it for this animal. This is all about helping that animal get through these, these situations. Cause like you said, there's nothing comfortable about, uh, these first rides, you know, the, these experience, these first experiences with these animals, 
it can, it can, you know, the way we present ourselves can make or break the situation. And so it's a little, it's a little different type of a class, uh, than, than the other, you know, horsemanship classes, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's pretty important to help those Colts out. So anyway, so you're getting some stuff done pretty quick. Um, but you still, you know, you're going, you're going at that. How, how can you, uh, this is something that I have a hard time teaching Chamus and maybe you could help me is how do you teach the folks or how do you explain it to them that, yeah, we, we, we need to go at the horse's pace, but yet we need to push, we need to push the envelope a little bit. Like, you know, we need to ask questions in order to get answers. And yeah. See, I, I have a hard time even phrasing my question to you because this is a, it's a challenging topic. How do you get somebody to understand that? Yeah. Let's go at the pace of that ammo, but at the same time, we got to let's let's go along let's get some stuff done we don't need to poke around for a year trying to get something road i don't know if this is going to help at all but what i like to think about is stretching that rubber band and when um when i'm teaching people or trying to help people with that very situation lots of times uh it's people that have a lack of confidence in just on their good old broke horse too you know is is we need to I need to stretch you and let you come back to where you're at. And then I'm going to bring you up a little more and let you fall back to where you're at. And I just keep going back and forth, back and forth, because the more, the more times we, we get, we get to a spot where we're uncomfortable and we're allowed to come back. Our confidence grows. You know, we lived through that and our confidence grows. And I think, I think it does for the animal too. So that's what I like to, I like to think about just, like a rubber band, I stretch that thing out a little bit and then I let them come back to me and, um, shoot before long. They're, they're just cruising right along, you know, but suit, but I gotta, I, I need to, the big thing with the horse and I try to help people with is as soon as they think, as soon as the person thinks that horse is trying, you get out of there, even if they're not, because pretty soon that horse is going to find out you know, and all he's looking for you to do is leave him the heck alone. And uh, the one thing that took me a long time to learn and, and to figure out was that uh, that we learn from our mistakes. And so the only way to fix them things is to recreate them. And and so, like, I, I think about a cold back horse. If he's, if he's cold back, just meaning he bucks with the saddle or whatever, the only way to re, you know, it used to be, I thought, shoot, I'll just saddle them up and ride it out of them. I could ride them for, you know, hours and hours and weeks on end. And, and pretty soon, you know, that's over with, but he didn't work through that. I just rode him through it, you know? And, and so now I, I recreate that problem. And that, that's a hard thing to say because I'm not causing the problem, but if I know he's cinchy or, just a hair cold back or whatever you want to call that. I I'll saddle him, let him work through it and then take it off and restart again a little while later. And, and when I first heard about that, when Brian first told me about that, I thought, shoot, you just rewarded that horse because he did buck. And he says, no, no, no. I rewarded him because he stopped bucking. And that, well, that, that's, that was a life changer for me. So, so that's what I try to do with the people too, is, is stretch them through, their tough spot and let them come right back down to where they're comfortable. Even, you know, some people, 
just so scared to, to lope a horse, you know, just so if you can get one stride, you can come right back down to the trot. I don't get it. Loping's way easier than trotting, but, but some people it's hard, you know. And so just one stride or half a stride even, just just get him to think about loping and let him draw back down. Well, pretty soon you're going to realize, oh, man, I lived all the way through that. You'll be loping circles. Heck, yeah. Man, that was good. That, that uh, you know, that lesson that you just shared with, you know, about Brian Newbert, I mean, I've, I've, I heard him doing that. And the first time I ever, you know, uh, I guess I, I kind of thought I was kind of doing that. But the first time I ever saw how you're really supposed to do that was watching you up there in Bountiful, that colt starting. I remember you saddled that colt that first day like, I don't know, like 15 times. Like you saddled yeah. it over and over again. You know, you saddled it and it kind of have a little, you know, just it, it never really bucked much. It just kind of had a little hump in its back, you know, and just kind of a little squirty, you know, and you let it pack it and then you take your saddle off. And uh, I kind of had the idea what you was doing because I'd heard, uh, you know, uh, about Brian's lesson on, on this deal and I read about it, I guess. But I was like, wow, he's he's really doing it. <laughs> you know, that was that was a that was a, a game changer for me too. watching you do that. I'm like, wow. You know, I I'd do it once or twice, three times. And I thought I was good. And and now I see Shamus in there. I mean, shoot, 13, 14 times. I swear uh, it was pretty cool. Big, yeah, big yeah. difference. Sure enough, helps them. Yeah. yeah. And you're right, too, helping the people. You know, you know, it, all these lessons go for humans and, and horses, you know, either way. Right. Because we're, we're working with the mind, you know, and I like working with that mind. It's pretty cool. So, well, that's interesting. So, kind of going back, um, you know, you, you, you had this introduction – to this uh, kind of this philosophy being around these these guys making bridle horses around Brian and and uh, and these guys, what 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 was it that interested you in in this kind of the art of making a bridle horse? What uh, what what kind of changed you in there? I mean, because I know for for me for me I I remember the first time I ever seen a I guess you'd call him a bridle man or what I thought it was a, was a bridle man, you know. I remember I was, I was out of branding. We'd go help some guys down here brand every year. And I remember one old boy showed up. I didn't, at the time, I didn't really know what he was doing and using and, you know, riding with. And, but all I remember, I remember he roped really good. And I remember I, I have a picture in my brain of a, a Santa Barbara cheek piece. Now at the time I didn't know it was a Santa Barbara cheek piece. I mean, I, I just, yeah. but I remember what it looked like, you know, like that was in my child brain. And, you know, it just kind of, for some reason, it just stuck. I don't know why. And probably because I was so impressed with this guy's roping skills and his horsemanship. You know, a lot of these guys are ramming and jamming and, you know, horses' heads are sticking in the air. And, you know what I mean? I Not impressive, but this guy just had a quiet horse. And I just remember, man, that guy looked cool. <laughs> you know, I was just impressed. Yeah. Later on, I get around some of this stuff and I'm out and about, you know, going to more brandings and hanging out with more people, you know, getting out of my little bubble, you know, and uh, I'm seeing more of this stuff. And I just, I've always been impressed by the guys that do it right, that really, that really do it right. And they take the time to make that bridle horse. They go through the progressions, they teach it, they work at it, and they have a lot of standard to, to they don't just stick, to, just because they're packing a bridle bit doesn't make them a bridle horse. And these guys would actually take the time 
you know, and, and that's what influenced me, you know, and, uh, and really impressed me quite a bit, but what was it that impressed you so much about this style of riding Shamus? Well, you know, first I never seen or seen Brian ride a bridle horse in person. Um, every time I'd been on Brian, he'd ride Colts, snaffle bitters. Um, but I'd seen some on video, but I'd, uh, I got into the big loop ranch open and most all them guys was riding big, fancy bridle bit horses and, and them horses were, were handling so well. That's kind of what got me started in it. But, uh, you know, before that I'd rode a lot of snaffle bit horses and hackamore horses. And I never, ever won, never, ever thought, boy, I'd have to ever leave that, you know, and, and then pretty soon we're, my girls have got a show on horses and then we're going to horse shows and then they got rules, you know, of, of what headgear they have to wear and at a certain age. And, and that, that cramps my style quite a bit, but, uh, so I, I usually try to develop one or two that I can go do that with my kids with. And, uh, if it wasn't for them, I don't know that I would show at all, but, um, but that, that's what it's done for me. Um, I re- and then later on, I run across um, a guy by the name of Tom Hagwood. I'd only, only met Tom in person a time or two, never rode with him, but uh, we had a lot of discussion. I've seen a lot of things on social media with him working some horses. And he he was taking these Mustangs and then 100 rides riding them in the two rain, you know, with the, the Bozolita and a bridle bit. And so when I, when I met him, I was asking him about that. And he said, shoot, it's no big deal as long as their teeth are there, you know, the bridle teeth and, and their mouth is ready for a bit is what he said. And uh, <clears throat> so I asked him how he developed it that quick. And what he had said to me was that he, he rode them in a snaffle bit, but he would end his rides in a hackamore. And then once they got pretty familiar with that hackamore and he was riding them in it, then he would start ending the ride in the two ring. And, you know, provided their mouth was ready for the bit. And, uh, and so I brought that home and started using that. That's been a huge game changer for me. Um, so I ride all my all my two and three-year-olds at the end of the ride, I ride them in a hackamore. Uh, most of the time, my three-year-olds can be rode in a, in a hackamore all day, every day. No big deal. Um, just because they're so used to it. Kind of like, you know, we start a horse in a halter. I start a horse in a halter because he knows it. Well, then I, I start hanging that, you know, ride. I, I worked that horse all in, in the lesson with the snaffle bit or in the hackamore, whatever the part of the progression he's in now and then after i'm done with that lesson and there's a cool out time then i switch him into the upper progression and and just kind of walk him through the process of what we did that day and it's amazing to me how fast he picks that up and how easy it was for him and then i think they get looking forward to that that headgear because it's the end of the ride you know, and so, so when the time comes that I can ride him in the hackamore all day, or I feel like the time's there, he's, he's happy to see that thing come and get put on his head and he, you know, cause he knows it's coming near the end of the day. And, um, 
and then I, I I usually wait till they're four, maybe four and a half to five years old before I ever put a bit in their mouth. But, you know, a, a rattle bit. But uh, that's kind of how I do that and why. But I, I found watching these great rattle horsemen, you know, Dave Weaver and Jeff Hansen and uh, oh, shoot, there's a whole pile of guys I can name that I've gotten to be friends with over the years and watch their bridle horses work. And it, I don't know why a guy wouldn't want to, to make them, you know. Uh, the goal is, is to, to get more with less. And um, shoot, that's all I've been trying to do all along. I just never knew it was going to be in the bridle horse world until. 20 years ago, you know, and, and, uh, I always have this, this little saying that I feel bad for the horses I rode 10 years ago and 10 years <laughs> from now, I'm going to feel bad for the ones I'm riding today. Yep. Amen to that, man. Same thing. Yeah. And I got some pretty nice bridle horses. Um, shoot. It's an awful lot of fun to keep tinkering. So. You know, it's my time riding young horses, so a lot of my time they're snaffle bits and hackamores, and I only get to develop a couple into the bridle, but when I do, it's sure rewarding. Yeah, it it, it just takes it takes a lot of time to to get that. No matter no matter what, you're going to put some time into it to to develop you know, build refinement there. That's right, and it's a it's a funny thing because you know I spent a lot of time in the show world oh the last twenty years or so, and. And I've seen a lot of uh, three-year-olds riding around in big old shank bits, and not not that it's wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong. It's just different than what I believe. But I also wouldn't be against it either. You know, I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't do it. Um, I have some of those bits, and I do use them occasionally. And um, but I I feel like. a lot of times we go to a bit because we have to not because we're trying to progress our, our horses, uh, education. So, so that, that's what I used to be to come to one of my clinics. You had to, you had to ride them in a sample bit. And now I want to see, I want you to ride them in whatever you ride it. And, um, cause hopefully I can help you become a better, have better hands or, use your bit better with whatever it is you're using because you can come ride with, at my clinic with a snaffle bit but when you get home you're probably going to go ride with whatever it was you ride so. <laughs> yeah yeah i know all about that man it's yeah. a, it's a it, you know there's so many people i've seen them they come to the clinic and and uh, you know you teach you you try to help you try to suggest you you get them just like you said maybe they're riding a snaffle bit and then you see a picture on social media of their trail ride the next day. And they just, they got their old tool right back in the mouth, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You're like, wow, it's I wonder that, if I even did anything. <laughs> it's that comfort zone. We was just talking about the cult start deal. You yep. know? That's where their comfort zone is. And so hopefully I can help them understand that a little bit, but you know, shoot at the end of the day, the snaffle bit's not a very good bit. You know, I mean, that's probably one of my favorite bits used correctly. But, um, it's quite funny how how often I get people uh, like see one of my my spade bits and they're like, "Son of a gun, that's that's a medieval contraption." 
well, shoot, that's way, way less severe than a sample bit is. So it's a, it's an interesting, interesting thing. If you really sit down and study the mechanics of it all. Yeah. I, I really, I kind of nerd out on bits, Shamus. I, yeah. I, I like to learn, you know, and it's really this way about any tools, whatever, whatever tools you're using. If, if you learn the functionality of them, you learn how to use them, what they're supposed to be used for and how they're supposed to be used. Things make a lot of sense. You know, it's like yeah. if you're trying to use that wrench as a hammer, you're like, gosh, this, this is the worst. This is the, this wrench, wrenches suck. You know, I, wrenches are useless. Well, you're trying to use it as a hammer, you know, how about you use it on a, on a bolt, you know, it's a little different, right? right. And if, or if you're trying to use a hammer to, to tighten a bolt, tighten a nut on a bolt, you know, that, okay. The wrong tools use the wrong, wrong time. And it's the same thing yeah. with these, with these bits, you know, in, in my opinion, uh, the snaffle bit is the snaffle bit and the hackamore. And for those listeners out there, when Chamus and I are talking about hackamores, we're talking about a traditional hackamore, which we're talking about a, a Bozelle, a Makati, and a hanger. That's a that's what we're talking about. But the snaffle bit and that hackamore, those are the two best lateral tools that I've come across in horsemanship. You know, I haven't found anything that can be better than those those two tools for lateral work. But that but a person could take a snaffle bit or a hackamore and they just go to pulling straight back with both reins. Wow, this hackamore sucks. This this snaffle bit sucks, you know. You're using the the wrong tool at the wrong time here, you know. That's yeah. not that's not what we're what we're trying to get done here. And it's, it would be the same thing with trying to use a use your half breed or your spade, and you're trying to reach down with a leading rein and and pull pull a direct rein, you know. And ah, this bit sucks. I can't get this thing to turn with this thing, you know. Wrong tool, wrong time, you know. And and uh, it makes all the difference to to know the functionality of them. It really does. And 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 there's there's I feel bad for folks uh, that are just getting into the horsemanship world. You know, just starting this journey. Um. Because there's so much there's so much stuff out there that they can just get lost on. You know, uh, they go yeah. down to the tax store and ask, "Hey, I need a good bit for my horse." Okay. <laughs> you know all right yeah. that's a that's a heck of a place to start i feel bad for him but that's why guys like you and i were out there trying to share a message and we're just sharing our message too there's there's a million ways to do this stuff you know but like you i found you know this trying to make bridal horses and bridal meals uh, it's achieving the goals that i have you know the the way i want my horses and mules to operate if I work them through this process and I prepare them, I'm getting the results that I want. It may may not be the results that, you know, the neighbor wants, but it's the results that I want. And that's kind of what I'm looking for, you know, is, is, is those results for, for my own, you know, my spot in life, whatever that is. Yeah. That's, I think too, that, that spot's forever evolving too. You know, it is for me anyhow. You know. Yeah, heck yeah. I mean, just like you said, look back what how you grew up. You, you know, your life and mine are, are 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 parallel in a lot of ways, you know. Grew up, you know, um the horsemanship I grew up with was just kinda I mean, there really wasn't a necessarily a process to it. You just, well, grab that bit and if that works, well, 
cool. I mean, just, just, I mean, go, you know, and it, it didn't really matter. It wasn't like we were doing something wrong, but like I, like you said, if I could go back and help a lot of those horses and mules that I screwed up, <laughs> you know, I'd sure like to do it, but it is evolving. And, you know, like you said, 10 years from now, you dang sure hope you're better. And you, you know, I mean, I see it even more quicker than that. You know, I, so every year, you know, you raise a lot of colts, a lot of foals. And so you're seeing this quite a bit more than I am, but every year we, we buy a, a weanling every year and we, we raise it up, you know, and we start it when it's three, four, whatever. And, and, uh, every year the, the, the next one I start is better than the last year's, you know, and I'm like, wow. And then, you know, you yeah. get four or five years down the road. I look back at the meals I started five years ago. I'm like, oh, I wish I could have a retry it. Yeah, I'd, I, I'd do it way better now, you know, because yeah. uh, cause you learn and, and we should always be learning and getting better. Yeah, you're exactly right. Thinking about some of that, there's something, the term finished bridle horse or finished head horse or finished rain or whatever, that's a term that just I don't believe in. It drives me nuts when I hear it because I don't think that they're ever finished. I think it's something that we're going to forever work on and try to finish. But uh, I would have guessed if I was riding a 20-year-old horse, there's probably something I'm going to try to help him with or he's going to help me with or something. You know. Uh, yeah, the horses are always looking for comfort and peace. And, you know, if we want them a little lighter, whatever that might mean to us, we want them to, you know, stop a little better, turn a little better, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people, when, when they use the term finished as kind of a cop-out for discontinued learning, like, well, I'm done with that one. Yeah, good enough. And, and they ain't never good enough for me. You know, yeah, I didn't never, not, not that I'm being greedy, but I want more, you know, I want to see if I can get, get it softer, see how little it'll take to get it done each time. And pretty greedy that way. I don't know. So good. <laughs> I think yeah. it's good. To, is, that's, I think it's curiosity. I wouldn't say greed, Chamus. I'd say that's your own curiosity, you know, saying, Hey, can I? I wonder what would happen if I press that button type of thing, you know, and you're just seeing yeah. what you can do. And I think that's what makes you a dang good horseman and why, uh, you know, you're a great person to come learn from because you're always learning. You're, you're seeing what you can get done and, you know, you're, you're not, you know, like myself, you know, you're not content with where you're at right now. You're not content. You're not, you you want to, you want to look over the next hill and that's kind of just the, I guess that's just kind of the buckaroo in us. It's like, hey, what's over that hill? <laughs> we want to know what's over the next rise. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I reckon if there's ever a time where I feel like that's good enough, probably be like the last bull I got on, I'm assuming. You know, I, I don't think that time will ever come. You know, I, you know, my earliest memories are with horses, and I, I hope my last memories are with my family and, and the horses with them. Shoot, we've been pretty blessed, you know, you think about it, the horses have taken our, our families, I'm sure, you know, you you as well, you know, clear around the world. And 
met lots of people just just because of the horse or the the mule but uh what a blessing that's been yeah amen to that man that's that's right you know we, we owe everything to those critters out there so i want to shift gears a little bit how you doing on time i'm good you're good so yeah. i want to talk a little bit more on the ranching side of things and uh something that something that's pretty cool about you is you know you're you're in this world you're you're dealing with 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 horses and with cattle and uh and I think a fella can learn a lot about horsemanship by developing stockmanship and vice versa. So anyways, I wonder if you could take a, a few and talk about how, how does your horsemanship affect your stockmanship and how does your stockmanship affect your horsemanship? How do they go together? Oh, shoot. I always tell people I wouldn't own a horse without cattle and I wouldn't have cattle without a horse. So they, they go hand in hand, but you know, uh, I think early on with some of the folks I've been around and learning how to, how to work cattle, especially cattle horseback, it was always fast, you know, always in a hurry to get things done. And a cow would look through a hole and the first thing you do is jump up behind them and try to jam them through there. And, and now, shoot, I, I get them pointed toward that hole and I can ride the other direction and they, most oftentimes they'll keep going, you know, but, uh, I think, I think to be a good horseman, you need to be a good person, but I think to be a good stockman, you need to be a pretty good horseman. That being said, you don't have to be either one to be a cowboy. Um, so, but I think, I think all good cowboys are good stockmen and pretty good horsemen. So, uh, I think you got to have some compassion for them and some, some want for them. And, and things like that but it sure is an awful lot of fun when when you can take say one of these young horses that we're just starting her and uh get them hooked on a cow and get them to to be able to to see what you're doing and how you're doing that want wanting to pick it up and do it for you and uh boy it just goes hand in hand and you know, you watch, you watch cattle work and horses work. And I've, I've been real lucky in my life because I've got to do that a lot. I've got to watch them do all that. And they, they don't, they don't hurry themselves unless there's a big reason to. And usually the big reason is me. And, and then I end up causing more work because I, I didn't slow down. You know, I didn't hurry up and slow down, but, uh, we do, we head and heal all our calves and uh to brand them and castrate them and it's good work for our horses um we we also you know anytime we're moving brood mares around and banding them up and getting them ready to be bred or or uh whatever we do all that horseback also and so pretty neat when you get to see you know my brood mare band isn't as big as it used to be but Back in the day, it was real neat to see 100, 150 head of mares in one group with babies. You know, it's pretty, pretty special. But nowadays, we're we're only running 30 to 40 mares, and that that's plenty. Um, but uh, we still do it, and when we we brand them and castrate them in July of their full year, and we we do it the old way. We we head them and front foot them and lay them down real nice and soft, and 
and uh, the horse cults at that time get castrated and, the, and we brand everything and we use a series of numbers that tell us who the sire is, who the mare is, and what year they're born. And so I can, I can usually look at any horse and tell you his lineage and how old he is. And we did that, you know, when we was running so many, you couldn't tell them apart. And if you had 10 Bay Rones that were solid Bay Rone, how are you going to know who's who, you know? So, so we started the number system and it, it's been a good thing. We've had a few people gripe about the brands on them and stuff, but you know, shoot, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I do it back by the tail. So it's not super noticeable, but uh, you know, the rounds always show up, but, but we do that early in their, their full year. And uh, certainly doesn't hurt them. I, I think there's, you know, cause they're not hauled or broke or nothing. And a guy can go broke paying a bet, castrate 20, 30 head of horse coats. So, so we do it that way. I do sedate them a little bit once I got them laid down, and take some of that pain away from them. But, uh, so we, we use the horse for everything. I, I read some years ago, and I can't recall who, who, uh, who I heard it from. I'm pretty sure it was a Texas fella. But uh, he said, every time you start your truck or four-wheeler, you depreciate value. Every time you saddle your horse, you appreciate value. So we, we find a reason to use them. Heck yeah, so, man. Yeah, any time we can, we use them. We use them for everything. And it's, well, that's the way to go. Heck yeah. So tell, tell me a bit more about your horse program. So are you uh, – w- are you, you got just people coming and buying these foals from you from time to time? Or you, do you have a sale or what are you doing? Yeah, we used to have our own production sale and we, we stopped doing that. I can't recall when the last one was, it's been seven or eight years ago. Um, just hard putting that many horses together. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of held strong through the recession and everything and, and after the horse market started to come back, when we went down on our numbers, so we're we're making more with less now. But we kind of had to have them numbers to survive then. But uh, we stopped doing our sale, and now we post all them babies on our Facebook and on our website and stuff, and they they sell pretty fast. So yeah, there seems to me like they got a pretty good reputation and. And I, I go through and select the ones I want to keep. And sometimes, sometimes I just put them all up for sale. And the last dozen or two dozen, I just keep them. You know. And, uh, but once in a while, there'll be something I really want to ride, so I keep it. But I usually don't get to keep you very long. Yeah, yeah. So most of these you're getting, you're selling them pretty young. So yeah. very few you're getting to, not very many you're getting to raise up and. Yeah, and if, yeah. I and, think we. 15 yearlings you know Um, so it's it's a pretty good pretty good deal than 15 that's that's enough this this last year we only started eight or so and that was that was enough too so just each year i just kind of pick a number Mm -hmm. tell tell me about uh you said you like to raise hancock bread stuff so tell me about that bloodline what do you what do you like so much about it? I know they're just tough as nails out there in that rough country and you're running some rough country out there in the desert and, and all that stuff by you. Um, 
Well, is that why you like them? Just because they're tough suckers or what about yeah, them? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you still got something under you, but most times I, I like them, you know, they got a lot of bone still and uh, the bone structure is pretty important for our line of work and, and they, they're trainable. So they got, they got good minds and they want to work for you. And we've done quite well with them. What I've been doing uh, for the last 20 years, I guess, is, is breeding that old foundation bloodline on the new contemporary type stuff. So, so like we're crossing our Hancock mares on uh, play guns and highbrow cats and things like that. I have grandsons of play gun and some grandsons of highbrow cat. Um, some smart little Lena, things like that. We cross back on them Hancock horses. And then I have Hancock studs that we put back on them more uh, contemporary bred mares. And, and that's been wonderful. We've been showing them and they're, they've been good. We've been, they've been treating us real good. Nice. Nice. Well, sir, I, I want to know about if you could, well, maybe tell a story about your favorite horse you had, or maybe, a uh, a horse that you, you, you learned something from quite a bit, a, a lesson learned type of scenario. Um, you got, you got any horses that just stick out in your mind that really taught you something? Yeah, I got kind of one of each there, but the horse that probably taught me the most was a horse that I had. His name was Journey. Um, he come from the four sixes and he, I got him when I was at, I got invited to go to road to the horse in 2014 and I picked him up then and uh that was the toughest horse I ever started um <laughs> that was probably the first horse that took me over a week to get on in 20 years probably you know he was tough and uh he he taught me patience about slowing down and uh, not not that we're starting them too fast, but just slowing down in some of the things that I was asking for. But he he was he was pretty darn special. He's passed now. We had to put him down this last year. He was still pretty young. He was a two thousand. He was eleven years old. He was a two thousand eleven model. But he he uh, blew out the suspensories in his front legs. And, but he. I never did get to go show him at road the horse. We had some unfortunate things happen and wasn't able to go, but, uh, we, I took him and was showing him within a hundred rides and we were, we were right up there where we wanted to be pretty much every show. And yeah, he was pretty special. And then I let my, my, my second daughter, Terry Dawn, she's quite a crap, quite a horsewoman, And she took that horse to, to the novice championships and she took three horses there and in the ranch riding and was first third and eighth on them horses and uh and that journey horse was third we was riding him in a hackamore and he probably only had 150 rides on him or something so it was pretty neat to take a horse that was just just tough as nails and and then be winning on him but you still didn't want to stub your toe you just kind of knew you know he, he just taught you how to how to read them and yeah just do less you know that slow down that's what it is it's just doing less you know when things got tight 
you just kind of just quit doing what he's doing and let him let him get together. So yeah, he's pretty special. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those those type of horses can sure teach you something. They teach yeah. you something. You know what? It, it's interesting because not everybody can get along with those type, and that's okay. That that's all right. Not everybody needs to get along with that type, but uh, yeah, they make you pay attention. I've had a few colts recently like that that just make you pay attention. I I had a, a colt, um, a Pepto Boone's Mall colt and. Pretty spicy mule, you know. It's kind of pretty bronchy, like just a reactionary type, you know. Pretty quick to the reaction, and oh man, I learned I learned more from that that mule than than I've learned from any of them in a long time, you know. And uh, man, yeah, they they teach you when they're sensitive. So Pepto Boonsmall was the son of Peppy Sandbadger, and Journey's mother was a daughter of Peppy Sandbadger, so lot to be said right there yeah they they were awfully good horses but uh you didn't pick a fight because if you did you're not gonna win (laughs) kind of like horses you know you i i hear a lot of people talk about how how tough they are but it's you just don't pick a fight yeah try to get along my my main mule right now uh is a is a is a hancock bread mule and um you know, uh, you're right. A lot of people say they're pretty, they can be pretty bronchy, you know, uh, but uh, I just think it, it, it's just how you go about working with them that makes the difference. And this mule, you know, like just a couple of times where I, I kind of saw that, you know, if I didn't help her out right there, she probably would have bucked me off. You know, there, there are different moments that I probably wouldn't have got by if I didn't pay attention, but you know, they come around pretty good. I've I've got along good with the Hancock stuff too, you know. I like this. I like just how tough they are, like just physically tough. I love it. Yeah. Just you know that that mule that mule of mine that's Hancock bred. I, I I have I have got her. I've got her tired, but I've never exhausted her. Not once. You know, I've never yeah. got her to where I've never hit the bottom. I guess I could say, you know, right. Just right. tough all day long. Tough, 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 and. And uh, I appreciate that, you know. Sure, sure. No, so do I. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have them and that you're getting along with them because that's that's what they do for me. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And a I lot of people. The the yeah, yeah. You do. You're you're working. You know, you're working on them. You know, I I only get to pretend to be a a buckaroo every now and then. Most of the time, you know, I'm just just cruising around having fun or doing my clinics, you know, I, I only get right. a, I only get a work off of them, you know, in, in a year, maybe, maybe 20 days a year. Do I actually get a, do a working job off of them? But I sure like to have them when, when those days come, you know, sure. for sure. Well, Shamus, uh, well, at, and they probably, they're probably need to get down the road too. Heck yeah. At the end of all these, my friend, I, I always ask my guests to to share a piece of advice for folks going down down the road of horsemanship and down the road of life, you know. Um what what advice would you give to somebody that's that's in this horsemanship journey and just dealing with life in general? What what would you say to them? My my piece of advice is 
is would be to to find somebody that is going the direction that you think you would like to go and go muck their stalls or go go do anything you can to, to be with them and work with them and saddle their horses or their mules or whatever it is they're doing and just just do it so that you can you can be that fly on the wall because we are who we're around and and if 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 that's what you want to be then i think the best thing you could do is get with them people and go learn and spend that time with them and uh that'll get you going where you need to go and that that to me i wish i'd have had that opportunity i wish i'd have took that opportunity um because it, it's kind of a fast forward to where where i'm at now so that would be my advice to someone if they was wanting to to be a good showman or or uh, if they wanted to go up and down the highway doing clinics or just just start a bunch of horses or whatever it is you want to do just just find that person but but don't just settle find the one that has what you want be picky about that be be picky about the integrity of them and the philosophy and all that heck yeah man those are good those are good words of advice and you're right. We we become who we hang out with. Yeah. So, anyways, that's why I appreciate my time here with you today. You know, uh, you're you're a great man, great horseman, great person to emulate, man. And I'd I just appreciate you. And um, so for folks uh, that might be interested, Chamus, how how can they find more information about you and in your clinics? Maybe tell them your your social media stuff and your website and all that, so they can look you up. My website is just shamushaws.com. Um, it's S-H-A-M-U-S, Haws, H-A-W-S. And uh, we also have a Facebook, which is Shamus Haws Horsemanship. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to have anybody out anytime. Heck, yeah. Yeah, they got a great place out there, nice barn. I've hit the dirt in it many times back in the day yeah. <laughs> great place to hang out and and uh no hitting the dirt anymore that's not allowed that's that's instant disqualification at your place these days but uh right. but uh it's a great yeah great place to come hang out shamus is a good man good family so hey buddy i sure appreciate you we're gonna sign off here uh all you guys watching man we'd, we'd love a review i'd love to hear from you you can, uh, on any of your podcast platforms, you can leave a five-star review if you think we deserve it. I think Shams deserves it. And uh, and uh, as always, you can check our stuff out, tsmules.com and Shamus, shamushaws.com. Look up his stuff. We'd, we'd love your, we'd love to hear from all of you. So God bless you guys, and we'll see you down the road. <laughs>